postpartum body odor. It is a totally natural phenomenon because your body chemistry changes after giving birth. And so sometimes that means that what worked before is no longer effective. But I am excited to say that now there is a solution for that stubborn odor. The Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is a completely natural deodorant made by a postpartum mom who went through it herself. And it works by eliminating and preventing bacterial body odor without covering up your skin's comforting smell to your baby while giving you 12 hours of odor control. And let me tell you, it actually works. Here at the house, we've all been trying it and loving it. Now, before you think, ew, you're sharing a deodorant with your husband and daughter, let me explain that this full-body deodorant comes in a convenient pump applicator that lets you apply it anywhere on your body with no bacteria traveling on the deodorant, so no ew involved. We also love that the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant has a delightful natural scent of USDA certified organic extracts that smell like a pink sugar cookie with lemon frosting. I thought this would be a little strange, but it's actually amazing. Also, the Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant is free from artificial fragrances and any kind of senoestrogens or herbs that can interfere with breastfeeding. Find your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant at postpartumdeodorant.com. That's postpartumdeodorant.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 20% off through the month of May. Get your Sugar Sugar Postpartum Deodorant now at postpartumdeodorant.com and start smelling more like yourself again. I love Jenny Kane. At this very moment, I'm feeling so comfy and cozy as I'm practically getting a hug from my Jenny Kane crop cashmere cocoon cardigan. I am enjoying this sweater so much that I've been living in it all spring long. And with Mother's Day just around the corner, this is a feeling you can gift all the well-deserving moms, moms-to-be, and mother figures in your life by giving them the gift of Jenny Kane. Along with bringing you this episode, Jenny Kane is a California brand through and through, and their staples make getting dressed so super easy. Think minimalist and effortless, but totally refined. Jenny Kane means luxurious cashmere sweaters, iconic accessories, elevated versions of your everyday basics, plus the most incredible home essentials. For a limited time, Birthful listeners get 15% off their first order. Go to JennyKane.com and use the code BIRTHFUL15 to get 15% off and support the show. Jenny Kane is known for their quintessential sweaters, with their cotton collection providing you with the perfect everyday pieces as the days get warmer. But they also have gorgeous sundresses in a variety of silhouettes for any occasion and spectacular sandals to go along with them. Find the perfect Mother's Day gift or curate your new spring go-tos at JennyKane.com. Birthful listeners get 15% off your first order when you use the code BIRTHFUL15 at checkout. That's 15% off your first order at J-E-N-N-I-K-A-Y-N-E dot com, promo code BIRTHFUL15. Get yourself and the mothers in your life the gift of Jenny Kane. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous Birthful Library. Happy listening. Welcome to Birthful. Hello, hello, mighty parent or parent-to-be. I'm Adriana Lozada, and I'm just delighted that you're here listening today as we're approaching the end of our series on movement and body wellness in pregnancy. Now, if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you certainly have heard acupuncture come up as a common tool to help with a multitude of symptoms, including nausea, flipping breech babies, and getting labor to start. But how does acupuncture work and what does it feel like? To answer those questions and so much more, I will be talking today with Dr. Patrick Boswell, who is a board-certified acupuncturist, a massage therapist, and a birth doula. 
Patrick's broad skill set and experiences give him a very unique perspective on how to best help his perinatal clients based on his multifaceted approach to medicine and the body. And I really can't wait to get this conversation going. One thing I wanted to mention, though, in case you're wondering, is that when Patrick talks about OP presentation, he's talking about a baby that is posterior, meaning the baby's back is toward the birthing person's back. And this is a fetal position that generally makes labor more difficult. Usually it's what's called back labor, meaning that you have pain or some really intense sensations in your lower back, aside from whatever you're feeling from the contractions. You're listening to Birthful, here to inform your intuition. Welcome, Patrick. I am delighted to finally do this conversation and for you to tell us all about acupuncture. Me too. Let's start off. Tell us who you are, how you identify. Um, well, I'm Dr. Patrick Boswell. I'm, I go by he, him pronouns, and I'm an acupuncturist, doctor of acupuncture, and I'm a massage therapist and a birth doula, and I've done all the postpartum training, postpartum doula trainings, but I kind of just say I'm an acupuncturist. I practice in Rochester, and then I have hospital privileges with the University of Rochester at two local hospitals, uh, Highland Hospital and Strong Hospital, where my privileges are with the OBGYN department, and I do inpatient treatment during uh, antepartum, labor delivery, postpartum at both of those hospitals. Which is huge, the mm -hmm. fact that you can... There is this recognition that the work you do, acupuncture, works mm -hmm. and helps mm -hmm. during labor. Mm -hmm. And so full disclosure, you you said you're in Rochester, New York, but mm -hmm. what for people to understand, Rochester, New York has a fantastic birth community. <laughs> we really do. <laughs> we are so lucky. And so Patrick and I are part of the doula co-op together, and mm -hmm. we've known each other for as many, like eight years, I guess, or yeah. more. Yeah. Yeah. So acupuncture. We're going to start thinking of approaching it from a person who's never done acupuncture sure. who's even scared of needles mm -hmm. and let's go with the basics how does acupuncture work so when we're getting into the physiology of acupuncture and kind of the basic science data and research that's available at this point a lot of it is based on some research done by a woman named helen Longavon, who she studies like fascia and stretching and muscle and all that kind of stuff and so she was very fascinated by acupuncture and like what its action was and especially this concept of dachi which is like kind of the tissue almost grabbing the needle like it doesn't necessarily feel like it's grabbing but you get this kind of hold on the needle like there's a little bit of trick like resistance and so what she found she did some research and found that what happens to the actual tissue is the fascial tissue, the connective tissue that kind of wraps our whole body. It's under our skin. It wraps our muscle cells in the bundles and the whole muscle. It's on our organs. It goes into the brain everywhere. It's kind of this webbing that holds us all together and creates this like lubrication between tissue because all these layers are on top of each other. And so when we want to move, we want that good lubrication so that everything slides and moves around. Um, so it goes into the fascial tissue, the muscle tissue, and creates a stretch reflex. So the tissue, the collagen fibers actually grab hold of the needle and twist as we're like inserting, manipulating. And mm -hmm. so then it creates this stretch reflex about, you know, two centimeters is what the study showed, uh, where you're getting a passive stretch uh, in the tissue for about two centimeters. So that's part of the basic science. And then we know that drops cortisol levels, which is big stress hormone. Also, in pertaining to birth and all this stuff, antagonist oxytocin. So, drop cortisol levels, um, release endogenous opioids from the brain uh, that are like painkillers, endorphins, all this kind of stuff. Increase local circulation and local immune system response. And to me, that kind of stimulation, where we know like it's a passive stretch. You're not engaging one muscle to stretch another muscle. It's just passive. And so we know from kind of congruent, like uh, stretching research, like yoga and all these other things, that you're kind of getting that sympathetic, parasympathetic, fight or flight, rest, digest, coming back into order so that our body just 
does the normal functions it's supposed to do under less uh, stress. So to me, that's a big part of the physiologic actions of acupuncture is kind of restoring that balance in the nervous system and getting the body to just function the way it's supposed to. We're not making the body do anything it's not supposed to do or it can't do. So we're just trying to optimize the function you already have. That's really an interesting point of view because I've never heard acupuncture described from that physiological, neurological perspective. And and I think it would be remiss of us to not speak also of the East Asian medicine tradition of where it, this all really originated and kind of what the lens that it's seen through there so that people get a full holistic oh, sure. view of acupuncture. Yeah. So, I mean, from a like Chinese medicine perspective, what we're doing with the needles and the insertion and the stimulation, very specific and have like the chi do what we want or have the body do what we want, get certain stimulation in the, in the area. And so when we're talking in a Chinese medicine perspective, we are inserting the needle into a channel. I don't like meridian. I think it's a bad translation. I like channel and channel almost like river, like a stream, because we say in Chinese medicine, qi and blood flow through the channels. And qi would be like a, a bad translation is energy. Yeah. And so to me, like energy or even like vital energy and everything like that is a bad translation that comes from a Frenchman in the turn of the century who went to China and studied with some doctors and came back and thought he knew everything. So he said qi equals energy. But now we're taking classic Chinese into modern Chinese, into French, into English. And so there's this game of telephone where we lose a lot of the cultural understanding of what qi is. Realistically, the answer to what is qi is like a two-page paper. <laughs> like it's a, it's a cultural concept. It, it's not a one-to-one translation. You know, qi is a word that's just used in the language. Like the word for weather is tian qi or heavenly qi. So it's not necessarily this like vital energy. It's like, what's the sky doing? You know, what's the weather? What's the sky doing? Um, so like, I prefer a translation. If it has to be a one-to-one, I prefer a translation more of function. So when we're referencing chi, we're referencing the function or the functioning of whatever we're associating it with. So, you know, if we say spleen and stomach chi deficiency, basically what we're saying is the function of the spleen stomach, or even translating that into more like digestive system, the digestive function is limited or it's less or it's, you know, not functioning at optimal. And so to me, chi equals function is a much better translation than chi equals energy. But I think it's definitely one of those things where we lose a lot by translating. Right. And translations, not only in language, but also in lived experience and worldview. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so when you talk about this Frenchman, right, he was he was looking at it from that perspective and then kind of co-opting it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there's it's a whole nother topic, but like cultural appropriation of Asian medicine, Ayurvedic, Chinese medicine, Japanese, Korean, like all these things, even taking these concepts out of context and going like, that sounds really interesting. Let me use that for something else. And not understanding the full context of where it came from, who wrote it, why it was written. Like, the context is super important for all of this stuff. Um, but that's that's a different conversation. No, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and I so appreciate your lens of looking at it that way mm-hmm. and understanding that the context is different and not just going with, oh, it's chi, it's energy. We'll just translate it like that. But really yeah. going deeper and trying to get as close to the original texts and concepts as possible. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for people who have never approached acupuncture and are maybe even afraid of the needles, Mm -hmm. can you speak to that in terms of how tiny are these needles and what do people feel? Yeah. So what I use in practice is typically somewhere between 0.2 and 0.3 millimeters wide. And so we're talking about the width of a human hair, except for it's just, you know, sterile stainless steel, one-time use. And then... All the nerve endings for really pain are right on that surface level. And so the objective is to get through that surface level, that top layer of skin, 
real fast. Because if we can get through it real fast, your body doesn't have a chance to have a nervous system response or a pain response. And then once it's through there, the sensation can be, um, what I tell people is like normal to feel is like a heavy sensation, a deep sensation, sensation that moves, temperature changes, a buzzing or a tingling. And then sometimes just a weird sensation that's hard to put words to where you're like, I don't really, this kind of feels weird. It doesn't hurt, but it just feels weird. And that's okay. I think we kind of live in the weird and that's totally fine for me. The other thing, especially with pregnancy uh, or an end of pregnancy is increased fetal movement. So feeling your baby move a lot more uh, while you're getting acupuncture can be totally normal. And then the things we don't want are sharp pain or uncomfortable because it's not supposed to be an uncomfortable process. It's supposed to be relaxing. You know, you're supposed to try and get that sympathetic parasympathetic balance back. How long is the treatment? So from like person in the door to out the door is usually about an hour for me. It can be different for different providers. And so especially on first visit, I do a lot of talking um, where we kind of really chat about these things and kind of dive into bigger concepts because I'm a firm believer that like education is 50% of any medical treatment because you know, you're only seeing that person for a short period of time. And to me, knowing what's going on and knowing the concepts and understanding further about like what your body's doing, why it's doing it is important to truly understanding what's going on. And so you come in, we kind of chat about what's going on, health history, dig into some stuff. Um, most providers will like look at your tongue and like we do a diagnostic thing with that where we just kind of look and kind of gives us some ideas of what's going on. We'll take the pulse and we're um, taking the pulse, not just for how fast it's going, but the quality of the pulse. And so we're kind of assessing the quality of the pulse and that can kind of tell us a bunch within Chinese medicine and then asking the questions and into kind of all different systems. So even if you're coming in for, you know, my low back hurts, you know, we're going to dig into menstrual cycle. We're going to dig into, do you feel warm or cold? Do you, how's your digestion? You know, do you sweat a lot? Kind of all these things that don't necessarily seem like they connect, but within our system, we're building a larger picture of what your body's doing instead of just going like, Oh, low back pain. Let me put a needle in there. It's going, well, why is there low back pain and what's contributing factors? And, you know, where's the root of the problem? We still will probably put needles in your back, but we want to figure out the larger picture so that the body can heal uh, and kind of resolve the issue as well as a bunch of other issues. So even if you come in with low back pain and it turns out like, oh, well, you know, I get a little acid reflux and I get a little nausea and you know, I've got a rash over here. Or I get headaches sometimes. Like we're putting that all together and trying to treat you as a person rather than just treat your list of symptoms. Um, because most of the time those symptoms are coming from a very similar root. And so we want to find that. Right. And when you get to the root of the cause, then those symptoms probably change. Yes. In some way. And you might get benefits that are beyond, are mm -hmm. more holistic or more mm -hmm. systemic yeah. rather than just your lower back pain. It might fix your insomnia as well. Absolutely. Yeah. And then so the person will come in, we'll kind of chat about all this and then put in some needles. Um, like you'll lay down, put in some needles. And then usually we're letting you sit for 15, 20, 30 minutes kind of with needles and checking on you regularly, making sure that like everything's still comfortable and giving you that chance to relax and let let that tissue stretch. Because that's really, you know, if we're talking about that physiologically, you're getting the stretch reflex. And when was the last time you sat down and you did a single stretch of a single muscle for 20 minutes? I don't Never, do that. right? Yeah, yeah. right? <laughs> and so it's giving the tissue a chance to like slowly unwind and relax and get the time it needs to respond. And I find that sitting there for 20 minutes, letting the needles do their thing, it's a beautiful opportunity for meditation and mm -hmm. nap. Like, mm -hmm. I think yeah. eight out of 10 times I fall asleep. Yeah. A lot of people fall asleep. A lot of people 
go like, really? It's over already? I feel like I was in here for five minutes and it's been like 30 minutes, you know? Um, it really gives your mind a chance to come down. And actually, there's some really neat research that showed that like, we kind of call it acupuncture sleep, where like when you fall asleep and you kind of get into this deep meditative state during acupuncture. And they show that it's very similar to meditation where like, you know, 15 minutes of it, 20 minutes of it almost counts as like two hours of sleep. Let's ground it in the pregnancy realm, mm -hmm. say some symptoms that people may come to you for during pregnancy. What would those be? So talking like early pregnancy, it can be uh, mild nausea to the severe, uh, severe nausea, vomiting, vomiting many times a day. I've had patients that like they can't keep water down, you know, like to that extent where they're getting IVs, they're going in for IV um, hydration. Yeah, like twice a week. And they're on all these medications that just aren't doing anything. Um, and so with super severe stuff, we're trying to treat sometimes even two, three times a week just because of that. Most of the time, it's like once, twice a week. I tend to do more just once a week, but for really severe, like chronic stuff, sometimes twice a week, especially in the beginning. And then what I tend to say about almost all modalities is if you're not seeing a marked change within three to four visits, either the provider is missing something or it's probably not the right thing for you or the not or not the right provider for you because especially with acupuncture like it's what we call a slow medicine but it's not like it's not a snail like you should be seeing <laughs> changes even within a few visits if the diagnosis is correct if the treatment is correct then things should change and you know maybe it's you know i threw up only once every day instead of three times a day. Wonderful. That's improvement. And so we honed in on nausea. Yeah. What are other early pregnancy symptoms that acupuncture can help with? Sometimes the fatigue that happens. And I also treat like habitual miscarriage, uh, where people have kind of a chronic issue of miscarrying. Um, you know, it could be early. It could be 12, 14, 16, you know, weeks. Because that's another thing that we don't talk about enough. It's way more common than we like to think. So habitual, habitual miscarriage, it can be sometimes headaches, kind of the little aches and pains. Yeah, I mean, those tend to be the most common uh, early pregnancy type symptoms. Uh, and then moving forward, second trimester tends to be a lot smoother. And so oftentimes I'll tell people like, oh, come in every four or six weeks, something like that. Or just come in if something's bothering you. Come in and we'll see what we can do. And that can be the list of pains that can happen. Uh, that can be insomnia. That can be uh, hemorrhoids. It can be strong Braxton Hicks, like Braxton Hicks very early or kind of cramping throughout. Sometimes even like prolonged, like spotting or bleeding where, you know, you're not necessarily worried about miscarriage, but you don't really want to be spotting bleeding the whole time. Uh, no. Yeah. And then when we move to kind of third trimester and end of pregnancy, then we're doing more, obviously more pain, more pelvic pain, pubic symphysis disorder, uh, round ligament pain, sacral stuff. And then, you know, even lightning crotch, like that kind of thing. The wonderfully named. The, the wonderfully named. I love, I love that one. <laughs> and then, you know, we're moving into breach, treating uh, non-vertex presentations. And then moving more into, you know, getting the body ready to transition from holding baby in to getting baby out. Diaper rash. It can be a truly uncomfortable experience for a baby. And so I find that one of the biggest conundrums when diapering is figuring out what diaper cream to use. So many options are thick and goopy, making them hard to apply and hard to wipe off. But I can personally say that this is not the case for Dr. Mom Butt Balm. 
Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant that is free from dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide, designed as a breathable formula to help maintain an optimal skin barrier while allowing the healing to occur. This butt balm was developed by a mom who is also a doctor, hence the name Dr. Mom Butt Balm, when she couldn't find any traditional products that work for her baby's persistent diaper rash and she wasn't about to settle. So she created Dr. Mom Butt Balm to go on smooth and be easy to remove while also being gentle on your baby's delicate skin. With Dr. Mom Butt Balm, you can say goodbye to excessive wiping to clean your little one's already chafed skin. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is so soft and goes on so smooth that you'll only need a small amount instead of having to layer on a thick goop. Plus, it has a lovely minty scent. Learn more about Dr. Mom Butt Balm at drmombuttbalm.com. That's drmombuttbalm.com. Or look for it at Amazon.com. With Mother's Day coming up fast, are you looking to get your mom, grandma, or mother figure a gift that they'll actually love? You know, something that is treasured instead of dying out or collecting dust? If so, you need to know about mylifeinabook.com, which is a service that helps turn their life stories into a beautiful book that can be passed down. How amazing is that? And the process couldn't be easier. Basically, if they can use email, they can create their book. Every week, My Life in a Book will send them an email with a prompt question to get them started. And if they don't like the question, they can easily edit it or change it. We gave a My Life in a Book to a family member that always wants to document all family get-togethers through images. And let me tell you, the process of sending the gift was super simple, even letting us choose the date we wanted the gift to be sent. I'm so looking forward to discovering stories about her youth, her adventures, and the challenges she has overcome. And since My Life in a Book lets you add an image with each answer, she can now share the story that goes along with her many photos. Another great thing is that the answers can be edited at any time before the book is printed in case she wants to add anything else. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com and use the code BIRTHFUL for 10% off today. And so that's a really interesting conversation in that, you know, that can get us into the quote unquote forbidden point of acupuncture. (laughs) Because as we're talking about all the benefits of acupuncture, is there any counter counterindication? Is there anything that should be avoided? I mean, I find that the research is so spotty and there you've got people on all camps. So it's really hard to figure out for anybody, for me, for people going yeah. to do acupuncture, like, should I do it or should yeah. I not? And honestly, it's true for a lot of acupuncturists too, because I'll, I have a, a bunch of colleagues that when they're treating pregnant people, because they're just not used to it, they'll contact me and be like, is it okay to do this? What does this mean to you? Like, what should I do in this case? And so the idea of these contraindicated forbidden points to me is basically just a board's question. You know, when you're taking your licensing test, you need to say like, these are forbidden during pregnancy because they can induce labor. But in practical sense, if it was easy to induce labor with acupuncture, There would be an acupuncturist in every single maternity ward in the entire country because it's just not the case. Even when I'm trying, like in a hospital, trying to get somebody into labor or trying to get somebody's body there or move them closer, it's hard. This medicine is a medicine of the individual. And so every patient is different. A point that we say regulates contractions in somebody Well, if you're not having contractions, what are we regulating? Nothing. Maybe we don't want to do strong stimulation when somebody's 20 weeks pregnant on some of these points just because, but it's not like brushing past these points are going to cause anything bad to happen. And so I think a lot of this comes from 
context of like who wrote it, why it was written, when was it written, you know, what were the other factors involved in that? And a lot of that we don't know. Um, Cause a lot of these things are thousands of years old. And what I'm hearing is that circling back to it being really important to have a provider, an acupuncturist who has the experience <laughs> with pregnant people and also is really good at understanding the individuality of the situation. Absolutely. Right? Like it's a toolkit and you might have a hammer and, and a screwdriver there. And yeah, I could use the screwdriver using it on the back yeah. if I need to hammer something. But truthfully, I need this hammer would be better. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, just me as a person, like I'm not really afraid of the pregnant body. I don't think there's anything extra to be afraid of. I think there's so much fear associated with everything. And that's part of the reason why our healthcare involved in pregnancy and postpartum is what it is, is because we're afraid. And so why should we be afraid? If we understand the body, we understand the physiologic mechanisms, we understand what we're doing, then we should be confident in our ability to do it and not cause problems. And as you mentioned before, you're very much a person of giving the the person you're treating knowledge and understanding mm -hmm. of what you're doing. So it's not like, oh, I'm just going to go ahead and need all these points yeah. for you. I'm guessing there's a conversation that there you is. have with them. Yeah. Yeah. There is a conversation that's, you know, you let me know what you're feeling. And like, if you feel something weird, even like tomorrow, let me know. Because maybe, oh, maybe that was a little too strong. Or maybe that wasn't strong enough. Or maybe we shouldn't do this or we should do this instead. I, I think understanding physiology is a huge part that I think a lot of acupuncturists miss, in my opinion. And that comes from my massage background. That comes from, honestly, my doula background is learning about the pregnant body, birth, postpartum, like physiologically. What is it doing? What's happening throughout the body, structurally, hormonally, everything. And then feeding that through the lens of Chinese medicine helps you understand more of what you're capable of and what you're not capable of within the medical system that you're using. It's just a toolbox, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. The body is the body. I mean, we won't get too much into it, but acupuncture is not a unique thing to China. People were putting needles in their body or doing medicinal tattooing and all of these kind of things all over the world. Um, you know, even the Iceman Utsi, the one from like, where did they find him? They found him in the Alps and he was like a 4,000 year old frozen dude. And he had all these tattoos all over his body. They figured out that 75 or 80% of the tattoos aligned with acupuncture points. That guy didn't go to China. The body is the body. You can only see it so many ways. So to me, the channels are, are the nervous system. They are the blood vessels. They are the muscular channels. They are like, it's all of this combined. You're interacting with all of this tissue because you can't not like, that's just how the body works. You can't do something to just one system in the body. It doesn't work that way. We're very complex beings. Yeah. And you mentioned a thing about people being so cautious with pregnant bodies. And when I look at the research, like even ACOG had a statement. Oh, I can't remember. It's like 2008. I've got to look up the year. But ACOG had a statement where it was saying, we need more research. We've been so afraid of the pregnant body that then we don't know what works and what doesn't. And while keeping ethically, being ethically responsible, while not putting people in danger, we need to actually have some good research. And it is since then, more and more research has been done relating to acupuncture, and I'm sure to all modalities, but specifically to the perinatal period. What I kept coming upon was there that fear of like, for example, some might say definite conclusions about its effectiveness cannot be reached and further research is justified or there is a need for more research or, you know, further randomized clinical trials are needed to investigate this further. Like, yeah, there's something there, but 
We can't mm-hmm. completely say just yet. Yeah. And I mean, I think one of the things that people miss is that that's pretty true across all medicine. We tend to think of like, you know, they'll call it CAM or complementary alternative medicines, you know, things like that. And we'll go like, oh, well, there's just not enough research. There are things that happen every single day in every single medical office that are not evidence-based, that are just something somebody came up with a hundred years ago and they go like, well, that's just how it's always been done. Stuff happens every day. That happens with medication. It happens with procedures. It happens with all of these things. And so I think part of the thing is we're holding this other stuff to a standard that doesn't exist for everything else. Like we go, okay, well, we really don't know why it works. We see that it does something, but we don't really know why it works. There are infinite things in medicine where we have no idea why it works. That's where like off-label prescriptions even come from. They go like, okay, well, we're going to do all this research on this very specific medication that's supposed to do this very specific thing. Oh, and then we notice it does this other thing, but we don't really know why. For this other population, right? Like misoprostol. Yeah, misoprostol. Yeah, like, and we don't really know why, but we can kind of theorize. So we'll just kind of make it up. Huge important thing for people to understand that one of the most widely used medicines for cervical ripening in an induction is having an off-label use. It's an ulcer medication. (laughs) Yeah, it's an ulcer medication. I think it's important for people to view all this through their critical lenses and whatever standards they want from any of their care, it needs to be applied to all of their care. Absolutely. I wholeheartedly agree. And I I think part of the other thing that sometimes people miss is that... (sighs) When you're doing a physical modality, acupuncture is very much a physical modality. You are physically inserting a needle. You are physically getting a tissue response. All of this stuff is very hard to do gold standard, double blind, randomized control trials on a physical modality. You can't do it on surgery. You can't do it on PT. You can't do it on Cairo. You can't do it on acupuncture. You know, you can try and blind the patient. You can't blind the provider. It doesn't work that way. And so you can't get gold standard. You can't hold a physical modality to the same. um, You can't have it be a prescription medication. Right. The research isn't the same. So when somebody's looking at an acupuncturist, what should they look for in their practitioner when they're pregnant? Um, I mean, definitely somebody who's talking about pregnancy, like on their website or they have experience with pregnancy. Also, I tend to be a big fan. Like when I have patients that are moving or they're like, hey, my family member wants to find somebody. Can you, you know, and I'll kind of like do a little Google search the area and look at people's websites and stuff. And the stuff that really makes me personally go like, oh, yeah, you should see that person is other things than just acupuncture. If they do just acupuncture... I think it's totally fine if that's the way they want to practice. I just feel like it's doing a disservice to the medicine as a whole because it's not just acupuncture. Like the medicine is really five parts, five main parts. And it's acupuncture. It's Chinese herbal medicine. It's body work. We would call it Twena. It's kind of our version of, you know, PT, Cairo, massage, like structural, physical, you know, body work. There's dietary therapies and there's kind of self-care exercise. We do Qigong. We do, you know, other things like that, which is kind of like Chinese yoga is kind of quote unquote what I call it because it's the easiest kind of way to picture it. And so if they're just doing acupuncture and they don't do herbs and they don't do body work and they don't talk about diet and they don't really talking about movement and I, I feel like you, you can get a lot of results, but I think in the long run, it's not as good. And so it, it, it shows me that the provider understands that it's more than that. This medicine is more than just one thing. And has more tools yeah. in their toolbox. It has more tools in the toolbox because to be honest, acupuncture is not the right answer for everybody. And so I have patients come in and we go like, mm, I don't think acupuncture is going to work. 
but let's do herbs and let's do some body work and let's kind of take a look at what you're eating and how you're eating it and, you know, versus that. Also because you're doing a very time-specific treatment, right? The needles are there for some time and then they the treatment works for an extended period of time, but then your body kind of goes back to its normal tendencies if you didn't take away whatever else was causing sure. the situation. Right. I mean, yeah. if you're eating sugar all day long, there's only so much acupuncture can do for gestational diabetes. Yeah. And so in those cases, it's it's that education. It's that, you know, trying to work with people to see like what they can change, what they want to change, what they don't want to change and kind of working with that in there to kind of make a larger life benefit rather than just symptom treat. So looking at an acupuncturist that is familiar, that has a lot of experience with pregnant population or perinatal work, and then making sure they're not doing just acupuncture. Yeah. Yeah. And that's just a me personal thing. I mean, that's helpful. Yeah. Yeah. And especially like if they do moxibustion, A plus. So let's talk about moxibustion. Yeah, what about is moxibustion. that? And that's a great segue into turning breach presentations. Yeah. And so moxibustion is a technique within Chinese medicine. And it's actually, it's actually a part of acupuncture theory. And so classically, acupuncture and moxibustion are like related. They're like brother, sister. And so it's a warming technique. It uses an herb called Chinese mugwort or Artemisia vulgaris is the Latin. It's a plant that probably grows in the parking lot down the street. Like it's just a weed that grows. And so what happens is they prepare it, they kind of grind it up. And so it's just the plant fiber left and you burn it over specific areas. It can be just general areas. It can be acupuncture points. It can be, you know, all sorts of things. But for the most part, you're just burning this herb over a point for the purpose of like warming the area, warming the point. And so for breach, uh, we're doing it on the outside of the fifth toe, the little toe. And the protocols vary a little bit, but the standard protocol tends to be 10 to 15 minutes each foot once a day. And depending on like when somebody's coming in for breach or taking a larger look at like pelvic structure and tension and you know, not just going like, oh, breach, here you go. This is the breach protocol. But like really taking a look at like why the baby's breach, you know, and that can get into spinning babies trainings that I've done and more physiologic understanding and structural, like really taking into account why the baby's breach and looking at it from not just a strictly Chinese medicine perspective. Um, the, the research is pretty good on it, actually. And it shows that, especially before 36 weeks, it's right around like 60% of like people turn with a combination of acupuncture and moxibustion versus like the kind of 45%, which is kind of typical. So it bumps it up some for sure. And it's every day for 10 days is kind of a, a course of moxa is what we say. If a person has their baby in a, in a non-optimal position, whether it be breech or posterior mm -hmm. then the idea is as soon especially for breach the yeah. sooner the better the sooner the start better. getting treatment you know there's more space frankly there's more space for a baby to turn earlier and we're adding on to that you know there's a good chance your baby turns without doing anything i think we have to admit that we're not saying like oh moxibustion is this amazing thing that's like gonna definitely turn your breech baby and nothing else will, like, there's a good chance your baby will turn on its own if you did absolutely nothing. But this just kind of improves the odds some. Yeah, and so before 36 weeks is preferred, but, I mean, I treat people as late as they find out or they want to come in. And then, you know, I've heard stories of babies turning on the OR table for a scheduled cesarean. Um, you know, smart baby. <laughs> well, I think it's, I think it's when, when I hear that, it makes me go like, Oh, they were holding, like they were mentally holding that baby. And so as soon as the anesthesia kicked in, 
and they mm. couldn't they couldn't physically use their mind to hold that baby even subconsciously. Right. It would have never been intentionally, right? Yeah. And then baby just whoop because now the space is there. The tissue's relaxed. Mm-hmm. Mm. I see that sometimes in really long labors where the uterus is getting crampy and tired and things are getting a little sloggy and somebody gets an epidural. Oh, yeah. And then it just changes. So that can be a really good tool for that. Yeah. Yeah. I see that with epidurals too, where oftentimes it's that kind of person that craves control and like for some reason like their brain just will not shut off and it's not their fault. It's just what it is. And that, that physical mind body break that epidural goes like, you can't control this anymore. And the body could just allow the physiologic function to happen without the frontal lobe interfering. Cause we know that we need to get to labor land. We need to get to a deeper brain wave. We need to shut off that thinking brain. And if that thinking brain is so strong that it won't shut off, then it's really difficult to create some labor, which then brings us back to another benefit of acupuncture, mm -hmm. which is that when you're on the table and going to those <laughs> deep brain yeah. waves, you're actually yeah. helping your body practice. Absolutely. And, and to me, that's a lot of the function of acupuncture to like, ripen the cervix and get the body in a better place. Get that sympathetic parasympathetic back to some balance to what we want it to be. Yeah. To that, to that balance. And so mental tension, physical tension comes down, hormonal function, digestive function, immune function comes back up and we kind of regulate. And it's that going back to, you know, we know we're dropping cortisol levels and cortisol is an antagonist to a bunch of hormones, but oxytocin. And so you are feeling the physical effects of stress less. The hormonal system allows the body to do the physiologic function it's supposed to. And it's, and it's not the person's body doing anything wrong either. It's built to do this. It's evolutionary, like in your system to have a mechanism of I'm giving birth in the woods, twig snaps behind me. I need to stop this labor. I need to move to safety. I need to start again. The problem is, is that now it's not a twig snapping, it's the machine beeping and it's the lights and it's the people bothering you. And it's the, you know, all of those things are stress responses. They're all like triggering this um, sympathetic response. Cortisol level comes up, shuts things down because your body doesn't feel safe enough to enter into the vulnerable state that is labor. Labor is evolutionarily the most vulnerable you will ever be in your entire life. And so you need to feel as safe as you possibly can. And so acupuncture can kind of help re-regulate some of that too. And I really appreciate how it can do that while at the same time checking the mental box of I did something for this. Absolutely. There was, when was it? Maybe a year ago or something. But I got called in. She was a patient of mine ahead of time. Went in getting a lot of back pain, a lot of sacral pain. And I walked in that room and within like three minutes, I was like, oh, this baby's just OP. Like <laughs> the contraction pattern, the pain, the sensation, like everything was just screaming OP to me. So I was like, okay, well, we'll do some of this stuff that I do for like turning OP and some body work and like trying to get the baby to turn. And then she was like in a better spot. And so I left because that she had a doula and like my place in the birth as an acupuncturist is when there's something going on, that needs to be corrected. I come in hour, two hours, sometimes three or four, but usually it's like an hour or two. Try and address the problem, fix it, get it to a better spot, and then turn it back over to kind of your birth team. And so I left and I was like, you know, if you need anything else, just let me know. And then I got a call again, probably like another four hours, five hours or something. And they were like, oh, she really just wants you to come back in. Uh, I came back in. And she was like laying on her side, sleeping between contractions and waking up to just go like, oh, and then like go back to sleep. And like I looked at the doula and I just like mouthed, why am I here? <laughs> and she was like, she just she wanted you to she just was like, I need Patrick to come in. And so that was when I went like, oh, yeah, there's literally nothing pathologic going on right now. It was that mental block. She needed me to come in so that she could feel like she could do it or that she could move to the next step. And so I literally just did some like 
hip rocking and some, you know, some doula stuff. And I just let her doula take a nap for an hour. Right. <laughs> and then she woke up and I left. Like it was that mental block. Like it had nothing to do with acupuncture. It had nothing to do with like, it was just that. It's so complex. It's so complex. Yeah. The body is infinitely complicated and we'll never truly understand it fully. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Talk to me about induction, because I feel like, is that the thing you get called in for most? Yes. So when I get called inpatient, it's mostly for to assist with an induction. So it's one of those things where we're not supposed to say like acupuncture induces labor, which I mean, it really doesn't. That's not the goal, especially for me. I'm not a fan of like trying to take a sledgehammer to break open a door when we could just try and unlock it and turn the handle. Because then at that point, what am I trying to do? I'm trying to be Pitocin or something. I don't want to be Pitocin. Like Pitocin has its functions and it can be great, but like, that's not me. I'm not Pitocin. I'm not trying to force the body to do something that it doesn't want to do. That's not within my capability. And so it's about taking down the roadblocks, so to speak. So whether that's mental or physical or position or hormonal or, you know, whatever to get the body to progress organically to what it's supposed to do. When I'm in the hospital, it's a little different story because as soon as you enter the hospital, now you're on a timeline, which means I would like you to meet that timeline. And so that means now I'm on a timeline. And so now I need to try and get a physical noticeable change as quickly as possible which tends to mean that intensity and strength of the treatment goes way up. And so people that have had acupuncture before, I'm saying like, this is probably going to be a lot more than what you're used to. And people that have never had acupuncture, I go, this is not what a normal treatment is like. So what makes it different? So it's, it's just the intensity. It's just the sensation that we're attempting to get is a lot more. So like those heavy sensations, those weird sensations, the sensations moving up or down a limb or just heavy, achy, baby moving, weird, you know, all of these kind of numb, sometimes even like numb kind of sensations. Like we're really working to get those sensations because it's an indication that like we're affecting the nervous system right now. We're getting a stimuli right now because that's what we need to do. If you're, you know, in the hospital and you've had like one dose of miso and it's kind of like, you know, 40 weeks induction or something like that, or even like 39, like we're not necessarily even doing a treatment like that at that point, because again, your body's working through this still. It tends to be more of like a premature rupture membrane kind of induction where, you know, they don't want you to go four days or it's like active labor. We're trying to like change the position of a baby, trying to treat um, certain pains, difficulty pushing, yeah, failure to progress, getting stuck at a centimeter, maybe not transitioning fully. Yeah. So the scenario that I am more familiar with is pregnancy is starting to get into that 41 week or something is up and they're looking at an induction, talking about induction for next week, or they're having prodromal labor that is just not organizing labor and it's going on for days and days and saying, hey, acupuncture, you haven't been doing it, but acupuncture could really be a really good tool here. Why don't you try it? And what I tell my clients, because I know that the treatment at that point is a little different than usual treatment. Yeah. I tell them, this is like Viking acupuncture. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> There's going to be a little bit more <laughs> more yeah. intense. I think the funny yeah. thing I think the funny thing is too is like it's not even Viking acupuncture. It's just Chinese acupuncture. Like honestly, like real Chinese acupuncture is very much and Chinese medicine in general is very much a this is going to suck today and feel good tomorrow kind of mm. thing. Like in America, in the United States, we cut down on sensation a lot. Like when I was in China, the amount of stimulation and the amount of like intensity of treatment that I saw for just regular everyday people was like at least two to three times what we do. And it's just accepted. I think it's part of that. Like, you know, I don't want to call us babies or anything, but like, we're not good with a lot of sensation 
Like, it kind of freaks us out, which is totally fine. We kind of do everything we can to avoid. Oh, totally. I mean, we do everything we can to avoid sensation and pain and being uncomfortable. And, you know, that's, it's just part of it. But the funny thing is, it's actually more of a traditional Chinese treatment to just be like, okay, well, you're not going to like this, but, but it's going to work. Yeah. 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 And would you say that, and I think this matches what you were saying before, of you're not Pitocin, of that you're helping the body do things. I feel that I I, I don't see acupuncture get labor going, but I do see it get the body more ready. Like even be more of a cervical ripener, like get the body more ready to accept labor or the induction and make for an easier experience. Mm-hmm. Once it gets going. Yeah. And even the data we have as of now is because I wrote a paper on this as part of my doctoral program on acupuncture for like preventing C-sections. And honestly, there's really nothing. There's really no like conclusive evidence. There's no like good data that shows that like it reduces C-section rate. But what it did sh- or what it did show from that research is that it raises Bishop scores and it raises cervical dilation. And so even over a 24 hour period, it's usually a extra one on the Bishop score, an extra centimeter or, you know, more effacement or more softening or things like that. Yeah. Can we explain what the Bishop score is? Basically it's just a, it's just a score that providers use to determine how effective they think the induction is, or is it the right call to induce now? Or is it better to just wait? Right. And that's, and they take that, they start with a bishop score to sort of understand, well, do I start with a cervical ripener or can I go directly to Pitocin? Because Pitocin is just going to create contractions, but it's the cervix is really long and tight and closed. Yeah. Then what are those doing? Not much. Yeah. Right. So you yeah. got to have a, and, and that's where it's a not a favorable cervix and the higher, the induction will probably fail or lead to a cesarean. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we see better bishop scores and cervical dilation over a 24-hour period in in the research. Yeah. And that is that is my, you know, my anecdotal experience is that, and, I, and that's what I tell my clients, it can be really helpful to then, even if you go in for an induction, you might just need the cervical ripener and that's it. You might not go to Pitocin. You might not, you know, it'll be one day instead of four. Yeah. Even if, even if you're not like, oh, wow, I spontaneously went into labor two hours after I got my treatment. Like, I've had that happen. But I think most of the time, we are just trying to get the body into a better place for whatever ends up happening. And if you avoid the induction, wonderful. And if you don't, hopefully you're in a better place where there will be less um, desire for intervention along the way. How is your experience with prodromal labor? Because that's, I find it, it really helps. Pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, prodromal labor is, it's really just like, the body's kind of like right at this like apex and it just won't go over for some reason. And so, and that can be mental, that can be position, that can be like all the other things we've been talking about this whole time. And so figuring out like, again, why haven't you gone into labor yet? Why is this happening? And addressing that um, can get the body to move into a place. Either, you know, stop contractions and say, like, you're not ready. You you shouldn't be having contractions. And so stop contractions. Because I'll do that antepartum sometimes, too, for, like, so antepartum is, like, usually it's high-risk people or people that, like, their water broke super early or they're basically on bed rest, like, hospital bed rest until they hit, you know, 36, 37, 38 weeks, and then they're going to induce them to get baby out. They're just trying to keep baby in as long as possible for whatever reason. And so a lot of those people have like premature contractions. And so what I'm doing in those cases or in padromal sometimes is trying to stop or slow down contractions rather than speed up. And ironically, some of the points we're using to stop contractions are the points we say like, oh, those are contraindicated points. You shouldn't do those. And we do those because it regulates contractions. Mm-hmm. It's not about making them stronger or weak. It's regulate. What's the body supposed to be doing right now? Let's just have it do what it's supposed to be doing. Fantastic. Fantastic. And I also note that sometimes you will 
leave people, and I've seen other practitioners do this too, is have a treatment and then say for induction and then leave them with some Accutax with like little sticky Mm -hmm. mini itty bitty Mm -hmm. needles or seeds um, to sort of prolong the treatment. Yeah. So, I mean, I use seeds and that's just because, um, because I work in the hospital, you don't want unaccounted for metal Mm. in the body when you're in the hospital. And so um, I use seeds. Um, they're this little seeds called a vicaria seed that I think it's just the perfect size and shape. <laughs> like, I think it's just the perfect size and shape. And so it's a seed or a metal ball some people will use. And they'll put it on ears or other points on the body too, just to like give a little bit of pressure stimulation. And then the people that use the tacks, um, they're literally just this super tiny, you know, like an eighth uh, of an inch. Yeah, like yeah. super tiny needle that like just goes barely into the skin. And so it's just kind of this consistent stimulation. Um, yeah, and I I have no problem with those. I think they're great. I just try and stay away from metal because of just the hospital stuff. Clients that have used them, they really like it because they can press on it. So then like segues us to a conversation on acupressure. Can you speak to that? Um, yeah, so acupressure is... Basically, just this concept of you're using, you know, your finger pressure or a tool or something like that to press on the area that we would typically needle to try and get some of that stimulation to kind of, you know, activate the point, so to speak. And so, like, it can be really good stuff to do at home. I do some of it in labor when, you know, we're in a place of, you know, especially active labor where, Mm -hmm. like, I don't want you to be sitting on a table in one place, not moving. Like, I want you to be moving. I want you to be doing these things. I want you to be feeling what you're feeling. And so then we're doing more like strong stimulation, like really like digging a fingernail in kind of thing. But that again, that's during labor. And so you want that strong stimulation at home. It can be like rubbing and circles and pressing. Yeah. And you can do it. You know, there's all the kind of typical contraindicated points and labor points that people will use to try and like get labor started. Wonderful. Do that if you want to. And then, yeah, it can be a really great tool during labor too for um, pain position. Where can people learn about acupressure? So honestly, even just like there's a lot of online resources and even YouTube where, you know, you can just type in like, acupressure for pregnancy or acupressure for labor. And like, you're going to get a thousand videos of somebody talking about like where they are and showing you and doing demonstrations and all that kind of stuff. YouTube is a great resource. It's a great, re- the internet, <laughs> such a great resource. Yeah, right. So in terms of symptoms that can also be helped with acupuncture during pregnancy or during labor, what are some things that we left out? So I think what we left out was uh, hemorrhoids, which especially postpartum and herbally and moxin, like all these kind of techniques will help with that. And then even in the same realm, varicose veins, which a hemorrhoid is basically just a varicose vein. And so we're helping with that circulatory system, um, getting tone back in the circulatory system. And then gestational diabetes, you know, it's a blood sugar issue. And so regulating that blood sugar regulating those hormonal systems can be really helpful. And then uh, preeclampsia and high blood pressure. Um, there's, uh, even, you know, herbal things that we can do for, for those as well as acupuncture to try and, you know, can get the stress down, get the tension on the vessels because sometimes the tension on the vessels can even be, you know, a, a relaxant, a prostaglandin thing where, you know, we're supposed to have this relaxin going through our bodies, these prostaglandins that like help to stretch things. And so if things aren't stretching, then blood pressure goes up because um, you're having all this extra blood. So getting that prostaglandin relax and release too, along with that. And let's see. How about for anxiety and just mental health, depression, both pregnancy and postpartum related? Yeah, I mean, especially pregnancy postpartum, because you're going through wide hormonal swings and they have a lot 
of impact on how what our perception is and what our stressors are and how we handle things. And so kind of keeping that stress uh, response in the body under control, kind of widening that threshold of like what gets you. Because that's what people will say too. Like when I'm treating anxiety, depression, mood disorders, it's not necessarily that it's gone necessarily because the stressors won't go away. Like for the most part, we kind of live in a constant state of stress and it's just the world we've created. Like it's not our fault. Like we can't avoid it. It just happens. And so like we can't really have a stress-free life. It doesn't exist. But what we can do is we can have our bodies cope with the stress better. And so it's people saying, you know, this thing happened to me and typically I would have exploded. And I was like, oh, okay, that's fine. You know what I mean? Like they just felt like they could take a second, think about it, respond appropriately rather than just like instinctual stress response responding to things. Like a little more more capacity and tolerance. Correct. Yeah. Well, Patrick, we've had a fantastic conversation. Yes. As always. We didn't go too far in all the tangents. (laughs) I know. I was a little afraid. Thank you so very much for doing this today. You're very welcome. That was board-certified acupuncturist, massage therapist, and birth doula, Dr. Patrick Boswell, who specializes in menstrual, reproductive, pregnancy, birth, postpartum, and pelvic health. You can learn more at anewlifeacupuncture.com. And you can connect with us at Birthful Podcast on Instagram. In fact, if you're not driving, we would love it if you would take a screenshot of this episode right now and post it to your stories, sharing your biggest takeaway from the episode, or even telling us about your experience with acupuncture. Make sure to tag at Birthful Podcast so we can see it and amplify it. You can find the in-depth show notes and transcript of this episode at birthful.com, where you can also learn more about my birth and postpartum preparation classes and download your free postpartum preparation plan. Also, if you find this podcast to be one of your go-to resources for pregnancy, birth, postpartum, the best way to support us is by taking any one of my perinatal classes, doing one of my doula workshops, or trying out some of the wonderful products made by our sponsors. This is what allows us to continue doing this work. Birthful is created and produced by me, Adriana Lozada, with production assistance from Asia Plotty. Thank you so very much for listening to and sharing Birthful. Be sure to follow us on GoodPod, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, and everywhere you listen, and then come back for more ways to inform your intuition. Hey, Adriana here. I wanted to let you know that starting this week, we'll be going back to our older format of one episode per week so that we can start easing into the summer and you can have more time catching up and going through our fabulous birthful library. Happy listening.